becomes the life of Jesus. Jesus has come to the temple and had a feast. And this is the day after the last day of the feast. Jesus is back at the temple courts. They're trying to get rid of him. Um, they're trying to find ways to trap him. And this is the latest way they, they try to do that. John chapter 8 verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered round him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground, at this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now. And leave your life of sin. Father, we want to just say thank you that you're with us. And that you've spoken to us. And that you've already begun to minister to us. And I pray that that will continue even through these words. In Jesus' name. So uh, the sense that I had uh, for this morning was to speak on this idea of living with the sin of others, living with the sin of other people. <coughs> In many ways, I've learned to live with my own sin. Yeah? No doubt you've learned to live with your own sin. Um, uh, not only am I grateful to God because of Jesus, I've just learned to accept that's what I'm like. And I don't try and, you know, I don't beat myself up about it all the time. Although at times I do do that, but not all the time. Um, I've also learned to live with the sin of people <coughs> who are not dissimilar to me and have a similar kind of perspective on life. So you guys, Christians, and I think, oh yeah, yeah, they're kind of going to be And I've also learned to live a little bit with the sin of people who have no connection to me. They're right out there. And I'm like, well, yeah, they do what they want to do. Um, it's often harder to live with the sin of people who are around you but are not in that kind of category. So just thinking about what we do as a church, the people we the food bank, um, we're going to be launching CAP in the new year, the kinds of people that we meet uh, there. I think about the, some of the social settings that you guys might be in or the work settings or the social settings. Uh, that I'm in, or even our family members who, who are not Christian, or maybe they are Christian, but, but they're not living as we think they should be, it can be difficult to live with the sin of others. It can be difficult to do it without judgment. 
difficult to do it without judgment. And so um, this is a, a, a classic, if you like, situation uh, that Jesus encounters. And he's got this crowd that gather uh, around him and they're trying to trap him. He's already caused a stir, they don't like it. The Pharisees, the, the, the teachers of the world, are trying to trap him. When I read this passage, you'll know uh, if you read it from a Bible as opposed to one there, it says above the passage, the earliest and most reliable manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have John 7, 53 to 8, 11. And uh, so you can do some digging around that if you want, but you could dig a very deep hole and you would still wouldn't find out the reality of it. Um, but basically, what, what it's saying is that there is, there's, there is some level of, of, of doubt or question as to um, where this passage actually comes. Um, the, the earliest texts of John don't have it in there. Obviously, later texts do, but the early, earliest ones don't. And so some people question its authenticity, some people will speak on it. Uh, for me, um, uh, you know, I haven't done, I can't promise that I've done any deep, deep research on that. On that. Um, all I would say is the story itself is enough for me to go, I think, I think that happened to Jesus. I can imagine that kind of situation that Jesus was in, and boy, is that relevant to him. So I don't want to put aside what the Bible, what, what people are doubting on the basis that, oh, well, we're not sure. When it's so relevant for us today, how do we learn to live with the sin of others? So briefly, the story, you know the story. This woman apparently is caught in the act of adultery, and that leads to all sorts of questions about, well, she wasn't in that on her own, I'm sure. And so uh, where's the man who was also caught in the act? You can ask those kinds of questions. But you realise very quickly from the story, the purpose uh, of, of the story was not to uh, particularly bring the woman out and, and to expose her, although they did that without any regard. It's to entrap Jesus. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get to Jesus. They're not trying to get to the woman. They're trying to get to Jesus. So they're just using a way to do that. Now, it's shameful what they did because what... What they did was they brought shame and humiliation upon this woman because, uh, what does it say? It says, um, he was there, they had people gathered round him, they, 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 they interrupt Jesus, they bring this woman and they make her stand before the group. Yeah. So that alone is quite shameful. They make her stand before the group and they tell everyone that this is what she's doing. Yeah? So any one of us would feel shame at that point, would feel humiliated at that point. You would just, you wouldn't know where to put yourself at that moment. You would be feeling the shame of it. And uh, not only is she being made to stand before the group and has had her sin exposed, there's no protest, she's not, you know, protesting her innocence, um, but she's standing there in humiliation and she's about to be killed. That's what they're going to do. That's what the law said. And so this is not a great situation for this woman, and it wouldn't be a great situation for you or for me. But it's really interesting, isn't it, what Jesus does. And, and uh, the, the more you sort of begin to look at Jesus, the more wonderful you realise he is and, and the more amazing he is. Uh, because he does a, 
you know, they talk about he wrote on the ground. It's really interesting how some commentators try and say what he was writing. There's no evidence to say what he was writing. Yeah, there's nothing to say he's writing this or that, he's writing a letter to his mum, or we don't know. We don't know what he's writing. But by getting down and writing on the ground, he does two things. He does two things. The first thing that that act does is it, it creates him and the situation space. He simply creates space because you've got a situation where you've almost got this baying crowd. Yeah, they're pushing him. They want to entrap him. This is the mob mentality. And you know what it's like if you've ever been in a mob? When you're in a mob, you end up doing things that you might not do if you were reasonable. Yeah? You might not act in that kind of way if you thought about it, but you can get caught up in that kind of... I haven't been in a mob for a while, but I, I remember when I was younger, getting in those kinds of situations. And so when he get, goes down to the ground and he begins to write... He literally immediately removes the sting from the immediate situation. He takes the creative space. So that, that kind of mob mentality is like reduced ever so slightly so people are not acting out of just instinct. The second thing he does when he uh, stoops down to write on the, on the ground is he shifts the focus from the woman to him. They're now looking to see what Jesus would do. How would Jesus respond? So he creates space simply by doing it. Whatever he wrote, whether he wrote the alphabet or the Greek alphabet or, or whatever he wrote, he does those two things. He creates space and he shifts the focus. And, uh, but they're not satisfied with that and they continue to push him and question him. And, and then he, he comes up, he stands up again. You find that in this passage, I found this really interesting. Jesus stoops, he straightens, he stoops, he bends, he sits. He's doing all of this kind of thing. I don't know if he's trying to distract him with his own personal actions, but he's doing all of this kind of thing. He's up and down. And he says to them, let him do his without sin. Because the law, if you read back in Deuteronomy, you'll find that the law says, uh, you know, that such a person needs to be punished, but the person who, who, who flings that first stone must almost be like sins. And so, it's only that person, it doesn't say that everyone needs to be without sin, but that first person. And obviously at that point, for whatever reason, they are unable to follow through with it. And it may be because it just exposes their, their trap, maybe she hadn't been caught, or we don't know exactly what happened prior to it. But there was obviously a recognition, okay, I'm not serious. I'm not serious. Now, just as a really, really small aside, I think if this situation happened today, we wouldn't be bothered about doing sense. Do you know what I mean? I can see people would throw the rock anyway. It wouldn't actually make a difference. So I don't think our consciences as a society are that tender that if someone said, let he who is without sin throw the first stone, that everyone would go, oh, throw the rock. I think, I think we could just love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is a little bit about maybe how we've moved. And so um, you've got this moment where, where he, he makes that comment, he challenges them. She's then left standing there. He waits for the situation. Jesus then doesn't, he doesn't then go into a lecture, tell them how awful they were. He just waits. And in the end, the reality of the situation begins to come to life and they all walk away. And she's gone. 
discredit Jesus. That was the point. Yeah? Jesus was becoming a little bit too powerful, preaching too many interesting things, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were trying to discredit him. They'd sent their soldiers in to arrest him. It didn't work, so they're now doing it themselves. They're coming themselves. But the other thing that we must understand, and otherwise we can get caught up too much, is this is not primarily about adultery. Obviously, it is speaking about adultery. And this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And let's assume for now that that was true. Let's not worry about so much all the unfairnesses of that, but let's just assume it's true, that she was caught in the act of adultery. And we could get very caught up in that, or obviously the sin of adultery, that reality of it and we can talk about that in terms of today and it, obviously it's, a, it's something we don't want to in any way uh, condone but I don't think focusing on that is the issue here. I think if we do that we miss the point. You see what adultery was to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the people, the Jews of those days was almost like the universal hated sin. It was the thing. Yeah, it, it shamed a husband, it shamed a society, it was awful. That's how they saw it, and they all saw it that way. So, so when they're bringing her through, it wasn't like there were some people thinking, oh, 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 you know, there's two sides. No, everyone was thinking, oh, terrible, terrible sin. This is the worst. It's the universally hated sin. Today, adultery is not the universally hated sin. Let's be honest. Let's be realised, not even in the church. Is it the universally hated sin? Yeah? It's, it doesn't carry the same um, issue for us. Now, please don't miss him. Yeah? I'm not saying that adultery is anything other than wrong against the laws of God, that people should not engage with it. I'm not saying that at all. We, we must be like that, and I'd be really sort of strong on that. However, it does not mean the same to us today as it meant to them. Yeah? The polemic nature of that crowd willing to kill this woman would not exist to us today for the same reason. That's my point. So what would exist 
would happen today that would create the same kind of universal hatred? I'm sure you can think. In our today, maybe it's a people was a woman. It would create the kind of almost mob mentality if they were caught in an act that this passage describes. Maybe it's someone who's caught in the act of trafficking children for sex. You caught them in the act, there'd be that sense of everyone would be really, really angry and you wouldn't be able to control necessarily your actions. What you need to do, just in your mind, is put that person that I described that would cause more of an issue for us today in the place of that woman. And then look at what Jesus did. So you put that person in the place of that woman. You put the extremes, you put the traffic out in the place of the woman, caught in the act. And then you look at what Jesus did. He creates space. He removes the skin from the mob by bending down. Whatever it is he writes, he creates space. He shifts the focus from the person to himself. He brings a challenge to those who are about to push for uh, the death of this person for the fulfilment of the law. He, he, he brings a challenge to them. And then when they are unable to do that, he brings it back. He focuses on the person. It's quite powerful when you realise that it's not simply about this, that Jesus' ability to to walk someone through that process is not linked to their sinfulness. It points to Jesus, to God, sin, sin, sin. But he is, his heart breaks as much for our disobedience as any human body. His heart breaks as much. If you take that kind of perspective and you put the kind of person there that I describe, it begins to challenge sometimes our, our view when we think about, oh yeah, it's all about um, hating the sin and loving the sinner. Sometimes we hate both. Sometimes we hate both sin and the sin. Jesus did. But sometimes in us, there are universal. We think, oh, no. Oh, I hate that. We think. So Jesus turns to the woman when there's no longer the threat of an unjust, just act. Punishment we need to come. say much. He doesn't need to explain the problem. 
She learns a lesson. Just through the circumstances, she learns a lesson. So I just want to pull out a couple of things because we could end up in our church and things like food don't go well, which is one word, sorry, cat go well, you know, which is <laughs> And all the things that we do, we could end up having people here in here who have sermons and stuff that are different to us. I wonder if we have sermons. You see, one of the challenges of being used as to go over all these and people who are religious is judging Judging comes natural to the universe. And we must learn to turn away from that because judging is also very natural in the world company. But it's not actually the only way to turn We now live by the spirit. Secondly, I've said this before, sin is sin. It may well be that among the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, it may well have been that none of them are committed adultery. But they probably were people who committed. They probably were people who were sinful. And they probably were people who were jealous and who were honest. And to that, that becomes an issue. Another thing that's worth noting is that in the end, this passage all centers on Jesus. It's all about him. He's like, like he's the he, he's like the um, the plumb line of the middle. They couldn't help it. The Pharisees couldn't help but but relate the law to Jesus. They couldn't help it. What do you say? Imagine if Jesus had taken a different response to the law. What that would have done. Imagine if he hadn't shown such grace. And this passage is also, as so many passages in the Bible do, a perfect example of the gospel. It's a perfect example of the gospel. 
If you the gospel is required because of sin, right? So the fact that Jesus died on the cross and that on the cross and took my place is required because of sin, because of my sin. So I need, just like this woman, I need someone who will shift the focus. Because God's work was right now for me because of us. I need someone who shift the focus. Because like that woman, I stand shamed and humiliated before That's how I stand. And Jesus shifts the focus. It's almost like Jesus comes in between me and the Father, and he takes the heat that was due to me. Jesus took the focus from this world. But just as that, he doesn't then leave it there. He deals with it. And he deals with it completely, so they walk away. And in the same way, he deals with sin completely. Sin is dealt with absolutely, completely at the cross. Then, just as Jesus turns his focus on that woman, just as you're about to go, skipping along from the world, he says, don't you You see, Jesus has this amazing ability not to kill him. You see, we live in a world today where some people recognise that the condemnation that the church is so often looking to people who are Christians, and we can't deny that we have a problem with people turning away from the church and angst about the church is because we're judgmental, judgmental, we're religious, we say, oh, this is but some believers have turned away from that approach. They don't condemn anymore, and, and there's this big thing of, you know, God's inclusive, welcome, come, come, come. And there's, there's some truth in that, but Jesus didn't condemn us He didn't condemn what he did us You see, condemning is wrong. It's horrible. It's horrible. And you'll see it in Thank you. 
how we do this, we're going to come out and you're going to take your stuff and you're going to go back and you're going to pray and thank God for what he's done.